Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast. Today, we have a terrific guest, Kevin Armstrong of Innovate. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. That's awesome. That's great. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, Innovate. Sure. As, as you said, Kevin Armstrong, I, I am currently based out just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I work for a company called Innovate. We're a global Microsoft uh, systems integrator. Uh, we focus on ERP technology, CRM technology, uh, BI analytics, and uh, cloud technologies. Oh, really, the broad spectrum of Microsoft and, and NetSuite solutions is uh, is where we focus. Yep, and you guys are growing incredibly fast. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have been able to join Innovate while they were beginning that growth pattern, and it's been very very impressive during one of the most difficult years that we've seen really in our history, uh, that the company has continued to grow uh, during this year. It's a testament to the people and, and the capabilities that, that, that already existed, and we continue to augment. And they have a great leadership team. I think that's a big part of your success. So, Well, I can tell you that the CEO, uh, Thomas Ashper, is somebody that I've known for a number of years, more socially and inside the Microsoft ecosystem. He's one of those people, he's an, he's an innovator, he's an entrepreneur, and I think he has been a large reason why uh, between him and, and the people that he's brought together, why this company has grown so rapidly. Oh, he's terrific. He really is a terrific person. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, thinking back over your career, who's the person who's had the most impact on your success? I have been fortunate. I will tell you, I have been very fortunate in my career to have a number of people who have impacted me um, from before I got into selling, before I got into uh, business overall, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to be able to play athletics at a very high level in, at the college uh, and professional levels. And some of those coaches honestly impacted me and the way that I do business before I ever even knew that that's what they were doing. Um, and then beyond that, I've, I've been extremely fortunate to have had to have worked with uh, several great leaders uh, over the years, uh, most specifically a gentleman by the name of Steve Turp. Uh, Tony DiBenedetto, uh, two gentlemen that um, that started and, and, and grew a company called Tribridge, um, as well as Thomas and Eve Klein and members of the Innovate leadership team. I've been very fortunate to have worked with them over the years. Are there certain things about what you've taken from those people that you now are using on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I learned early in my career that you always go into a situation to learn. And I have found that, you know, there, there's an old sports uh, euphemism that says, if you, you either win or you, or you learn, and that translates very well to selling. And what I've, what I've been able to do over the years is take the best of, of each of these leaders and, and team members that I've worked with and kind of cobble that together uh, into my style, my team style, and really the, the, the type of a, of a, of a team that I like to build. It's, Every company that I've worked with in the last 20 some years has been a little bit different. They're all unique. Uh, but I would say that I've, it, it's 
each of those great leaders and each of those great team members have impacted me to the extent where I do have a mold. I have an idea of what I'd like to accomplish. It's never going to happen exactly the same way at every company, but there are elements that I've learned from all of them that I try to bring to the table. That's great. What are the top three things that have helped you the most in your career? Uh, well, first of all, the thirst for learning. Um, it's never been proven more important than in 2020, where the entire global economy has changed. And, and I run into people every day who think, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know, I know the game, right? And the game has changed. So I would say, number one, my thirst for learning has driven me to, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. Uh, I mean, I wake up and I read, I read blogs, I, I watch uh, pod, you know, I, I listen and watch podcasts, I, TED Talks, you name it. So that thirst for learning. Um, the second one is, I was always taught that you have to control your own destiny, take control of your destiny and do what you have to do to be successful. Don't worry about everybody else. Count on them that they're going to, they're going to be uh, you know, they're going to do their part of the equation as well, but focus on what you have to control and do that to the best of your ability. And really th the third thing is I don't do anything part way. I'm an all the way in guy. So if, and th the way this translates into this economy is I, I talk to a lot of people who aren't thrilled with their jobs on a day-to-day -day basis, or people, even some that have worked for me that I've said, look, I, I love you. I think you're a great person, but if you're not all in, then you should be all out. So I think that has served me well over the years because when I'm passionate about something, I wake up hitting the ground running every day. That's great. That's great. If you're with a group of your peers and you're all sharing stories, lots of laughter, what's your craziest sales story? Oh my goodness. So little known fact for you, I've always said that when I retire, uh, good Lord willing, I get to retirement age, I'm going to write a book. Um, about some of the experiences I've had in selling. But I've got one great brief story that I'll tell you. I was a young salesman at Xerox. So copiers, printers, and whatnot. But I had large accounts, okay? I had national accounts. And one of my accounts was the Teamsters Union. So literally the headquarters of the Teamsters Union. We sold a deal there and it was the last day of the month and I was worried about, we had to get everything plugged in and installed for us to, to get credit for the order. It was a multi-million dollar order, okay? Right. I show up in my suit. I think I've got everything checked. I've done all of the checklists. We're good to go. Show up on the loading dock, nine o'clock in the morning at the Teamsters Union. Our trucks start to back up and somebody comes out and says, stop. They run out. What's going on? Well, it turns out that the one item that we didn't check off the checklist was whether or not it was a union truck. Oh my. So we're at the Teamsters Union with non-union trucks, right? right? So we had to pull the trucks across the street we had to get union trucks in there, you know, in a, an open parking lot in downtown Washington, D.C., move all of the equipment from one truck to another and then back the trucks back up to the to the Teamsters dock. So the lesson learned and then I'll tell you the, the, the very quick end of that story. The lesson yeah. learned was don't skip anything on your on your pre-sales checklist. Oh, yeah. right. It doesn't matter how you if, check your do they have Wi-Fi? Do you have a place to project your demo? Whatever your challenges are, make sure that you learn, uh, that you, make sure you do the, the, the site visit to make sure that you've got it all checked. Because I didn't do one thing and it led to almost not getting a multi-million dollar deal at the end of the month. The last part of this story that I think you'll find very funny. So it's so now my I'm sweaty, my, my, my suit is all dirty. I'm literally down on my knees plugging equipment in and it's about 11.30 p.m., 
and we're at the team suit scene. I don't know where I am. I'm just in this building and I feel a hand on my shoulder and I turn around. Honest to God, it's Jimmy Hoffa Jr. <laughs> He's the president of the Teamsters Union. Of course, I grew up in the New York area, so I know who his father was. So right. I turn around and here's Jimmy Hoffa Jr. And uh, so I stand up, dust myself off. And the guy who I was working with in the print shop comes in. He said, Mr. Hoffa, I'm sorry to bother you. We were just finishing up the, the install here. And he looks at me and he goes, you're the sales guy with Xerox. I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, 1130 at night. He goes, you're a Teamsters kind of guy. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and then walked away. He walks away and I look at the guy who's running the print shop and I'm like, that's good. Right. Right. That's good. <laughs> so all of that, because I didn't check one box on a print. Oh man, that's crazy. That really is crazy. Um, think it back to the time when you were starting your sales career. What do you wish you were taught when you got that first job? I wish that I was taught that, um, you have to be efficient with your time. I found early in my career that I was the one who, because I was capable of chasing a whale, I wanted to chase all whales, mm -hmm. right? So from a selling perspective, it's okay to say no, right? There's two winners in every deal. And I learned this far too late in my career. It's the one who wins and the first one out, right? And I wish I had learned earlier in my career that it is okay to say no. Let's I want to stop there for a second. It's okay to say no. That's pretty powerful words in the sales world. It is. And I find because you're going to transition into sales leadership here in a moment, it starts at the top down. You have to let your people know that it's okay. It's okay to want to chase the deals that you're best suited for because we're all not. And this is the point. You asked the question, what do I wish I learned earlier? Yeah. This right here is what I wish I learned. I wish I learned that I am well suited for certain types of deals. And I wish that as a leader right now, the one data point that I track more than anything is close rate. Why? I actually track two. I track lead to, lead to uh, opportunity conversion rates and I, 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 I track close rates. If my close ratio is high, that means I'm chasing high value opportunities that fit my profile and are able are deals that I can win. If my close ratio drops, then I'm probably not saying no to enough opportunities, right? Okay. And that, I, I believe that if you can be far more efficient with your time, you can actually generate more revenue in less deals over a shorter period of time just by being focused. Yep. I'm shocked, even at this day and age, uh, when we work with clients, how many really don't have a strong concept of their ideal customer? They, they don't. You know, I find that we go through an exhaustive exercise and we do it on, on a fairly regular basis. Who's your buyer? Um, and, and by role, by industry, by segment, all of it, right? You have to understand all of those variables and you have to understand the buying behavior in all of those segments. Because for instance, if you're selling CRM uh, as a solution, um, you know, in a larger company, you might be doing that at a divisional level with a VP of marketing or a VP of sales or somebody like that. But in a smaller company, it's typically the CFO, yeah. right? So you have to understand who the buyer is, what the industry's requirements are, and do I have a fit? Do I have a story I can tell? Because if I don't have a story to tell, it's going to be, I, I can do the best demo in the world, but if I don't have a story to tell, it's going to be hard to win. Yeah. You're spinning your wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you advise someone who has the goal of achieving your level of career success? 
Well, find something you're passionate about, for sure. Um, I am extremely passionate about, I, well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you how I even got into the space that I'm in. And, and I think that'll tell you a little bit about why it motivates me. Um, I was working for a large systems integrator in the late 90s and into the early 2000s. And we had done a project for uh, National Geographic. And they were doing a content management initiative. They had millions and millions of images and, and videos, and they wanted to catalog them and be able to sell them much like Getty images does, mm -hmm. right? Um, we used a financial back end of that that was called Great Plains, mm -hmm. which is now Microsoft Dynamics GP, which is now becoming Microsoft Dynamics 365. Well, sadly on 9-11, my office was right around the corner from the Pentagon. So I was literally around the river in Roslyn, Virginia. And we knew right away that the world had just changed and we knew we were going to head for some economic hardships. And I said, you know, I really liked working with those people at that Great Plains company. Financial and operational systems are going to be recession proof. I might as well go look more heavily at that. Fortuitous decision on my part, because it is recession proof. Okay. Every company still has to be able to run. So I made that decision. And what I have found over the years to answer your question is that I am able to not only interact very deeply with buyers and walk their warehouses and, and, and be in their workforce and understand how they're operating, but I can see the fruits of our labor. I can see the return on their investment, the time to pay back. All of the things that we talk about when we're selling technology, I can see it in action in the space that I'm in. Um, so find something you're passionate about, become a valuable subject matter expert in that industry and in whatever, whatever it is that you're in. Because if you think about it, I don't know if you follow um, the challenger sales model at all, but if you, the corporate executive board, one of the data points they put out there was that a buyer comes 57% done with the buying process now, right? Mm -hmm. When they come to you because of the accessibility of information. Yep. I actually think the number is a lot higher than that, mm -hmm. but let's just go with 57%. That means that today a salesperson needs to be valuable. A sales leader needs to be valuable. You can't yeah. just, you're not just a conduit to information anymore. They don't have to come to us to get price lists or fact sheets or anything else. Yeah. They can go to YouTube and get an innumerable number of videos around what they're looking for. So yeah. you have to be valuable in order to be valuable, get, get into a field that you're passionate about. Take the time to not just go through the motions right? I don't care how successful you've been at selling whatever it is you've sold. You need to be an expert now. You need to be able to, when you're sitting in front of a buyer, provide them with something, educate them with something that they didn't know or make something easier for them. Yep. Critical. Uh, tell me about your decision to become a sales leader. Yeah, it was a natural progression for me very early in my career coming from an athletics background. Um, I think that it's always the hardest thing to do to take somebody who's a top performer, especially as a hunter, and want to take them out of production and put them into leadership. Um, and my leaders had problems with that over the years yeah. uh, early on. But being that, being that I've come from an athletic background and that I've, for all of my entire life, I've always been a coach. As a matter of fact, this is the first year I'm not on a baseball field as either a coach or a player since 1978. Holy cow, yeah. yeah. So because of that natural coaching element, I always gravitated towards helping to make the team better anyway. Mm -hmm. And once you've matured enough in your career, you kind of start thinking you might 
be able to add some value. And, and knowing that you want to coach people and knowing that you think you can add some value, it's a natural path uh, to go into leadership. It was difficult in the beginning because you're used to being an individual contributor. And now you have to focus on making a team successful. Yeah. And for me, I think what made me successful really throughout my career is that I view my role as I'm an asset to my entire team. So if I can help them win a deal, if I can remove a hurdle, if I can make something easier, if I can help get them what they need, uh, if I can answer a question, if I can fill in for them, whatever it is, that's what I view my role to be. I'm there for them. They're not there for me. Right. What do you think some of the common myths may be about being a sales leader? Well, I know that I hear it all the time that people talk about sales leaders who are academic about it, meaning they talk about it or they've studied it or they've, you know, they've almost been a, a professor for years, but, but haven't really been out there carrying a bag for very long. It's a common criticism. And I heard somebody say recently that, you know, if you were, if you were a surgeon and you took 10 years out of the operating room, you, weren't, you wouldn't be able to walk back in that next day and be viable at it, right? Right. Um, I think the, the key to a good sales leader is that they keep their skills fresh. They keep them sharp. They, they own, I can tell you when I came in to innovate, I said to Thomas, our CEO, I said, I, I want to own something, meaning an account, some revenue. I want to go through the processes. I want to see what we're good at. I want to see what we're not good at. Um, so I think the, the most common misconception is that sales leaders talk about it, but can't, they can talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. And I've seen a lot of that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes people transitioning to a, C a sales leadership role make? You know, there, there's, uh, there's a funny skit on Saturday Night Live, and it's more of an IT guy, not a sales leader, but it's how I think about the answer to this question. And it, it was a funny skit where he would always, the person would be asking him how to do something, and, and he would try to tell them, and then he would just say, move, and he would just do it, right? <laughs> And it's kind of how I feel about sales leadership is when you have a young sales leader or you have somebody who's uber aggressive, um, their tendency is to want to do it for them. Uh, maybe they have, maybe they're aggressive and just, they work at a fast pace and the person in front of them while they, they've built a good relationship isn't moving at their pace. Right. Yep. And I think that the biggest mistake I see sales leaders make is you don't need to get your salespeople to do it the way you do it. You need to help them do it better the way they do it. Right. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. I love that. Yeah. I think that applies generally in management. You know, yeah, you know, it does. I will tell you that one of the, I'm often asked the question, like, what, what are you proud of in your career? And there's um, before joining Innovate, I had left a, a company that there was multiple acquisitions between late 2009. And then um, just a couple of years ago where, a large technology company had bought up several versions of the companies that I had been working with and running. So we had a large group of people that had been together for, you know, 10, 15 years. And the, the absolutely the most proud moment of my professional career was when, when I left that business, um, there was seven people that had been on my team in the, in, in kind of the last five years that were VPs or VPs of sales or chief sales officers at other companies. That makes me happy because that means, you know, for some of those people, they have no desire to ever be in leadership. You know, maybe they have more of a mercenary mentality where they want to, they want to hunt, the, hunt, kill and wake up tomorrow and hunt and kill again, but they really don't want to be asked where they are. 
right? That is a profile. And it, it, as long as they play well in the team, that's okay as well. But then you've got people who aspire to more. Yeah. And the fact that seven of them had become elevated leaders at other companies to me was something I'm, I'm, ver- I'm very, very proud of because it, it means that we were able to invest in them enough to where they were able to achieve some of their goals. How'd you identify those seven for leadership? Yeah, a little bit of trial and error. I mean, to some degree, you're doing career planning. You should be doing career planning with your people all the time. And for the leaders that are out there watching, I if you're not, you need to be having dialogue around more than the numbers. How right? frequently do you do those conversations? So once a year? Well, um, structurally, we're doing them a couple of times a year. So I would say once a quarter, you're having that kind of dialogue. But built into our business now and, and really the way that it used to be, and my prior company as well is it was always, it should always be a part of your one-on-one rhythms. Um, and, and the way that I manifest it is I ask them for both their, their professional goals and their personal goals. And what I mean by that is like, if I'm talking to a salesperson and they say they're getting engaged, you know, in the spring and they really need to plan for a wedding. Well, that tells me they're going to be money motivated. Right. Or if they tell me I've got a young uh, sales rep who tells me they want to buy their first house. Those are the kinds of big life moments that I would actually like to help be a part of and help to make happen because the moment you're, you make that person successful. I I had one young sales rep a couple of years ago and I said, what do you, what, what motivates you? True story. His response was, I just want to buy a BMW seven series and pay for happy hour for my friends. I'm like, dude, you're 23 years old. You don't need a BMW seven series. First of all, second of all, paying for happy hour for your friends is probably pretty cheap at this stage in your life. So yeah, I think we can get you there. Right. So under, I think my advice on that topic is just ask the person, the personal side of it. What is it both personally and professionally that drives you understand where it is that they want to go. And if they tell you, Hey, I just want to come in. I want you to put as many opportunities on my plate. And I want to kill it from a revenue perspective. God bless. Let's work on that. Yeah. But if they tell you that they want to be a leader of people, then you put them in a team lead scenario. You give them a project, you give them a topic. You watch how they how they interact with their team. You give them honest critiques. Yep. You know it has to be an approach. A- I'm sorry. Do you have an approach to to uh, uh, when you're having those hard conversations? How do you approach that? Well, uh, oh, the, the one thing I always say about me is the good news is you'll always know what I'm thinking. The bad news is you'll always know what I'm thinking, right? And that is kind of a rule of thumb with with all of my, I'm almost unemotional about it. I'm just going to tell you, I, matter of fact, I did a, a demo, demonstration with our team earlier. We got out of the account and I went through almost immediately. Here's what worked in my opinion. And here's what didn't. Uh, it's not meant to be a negative. It's just meant to be open right. dialogue. So yep. I, the way that I try to work that stuff in is we have, we have uh, bi-monthly, well, bi-weekly, um, we do a top five meeting. So what, what's on their plate, what's driving them, how are they focused? And you have that mentoring dialogue. Yep. Um, that's every, every other week. And then at least once a month, I try to have a, uh, you know, the one-on-one meeting that says, okay, where are you versus your goals? And I'm not talking just the numbers. Where are you versus, you know, you, what are your initiatives that you're working on? And, and, and what's, what, what are the training uh, goals that we've set for you? Find out where they are on that. And then very specifically, because we're coming up on the beginning of the year, one of the things I like to do in the beginning of a year is say, okay, the good news about sales is we turn the page on Jan 1, January 1, right? 
So now that we're in a new year, here are some things we've just done their review when we do the reviews twice a year, but we've just done a review with you, but heading into 2021, here are the things that I believe you need to improve on or work on or do more of stop, start, continue, right? What do you need to do to achieve? You know, we, we all, well, we usually decide on what, it, what is the goal? What is the revenue number that you think you can generate? Forget a quota. What do you think you can generate? You can do 2 million. How are we going to get you there? You can do 4 million. I've had reps tell me I can do $10 million, right? Great. What is that going to take? What do we need to do to get you there? And then let's have an open dialogue around that. So I think it really starts with what is the structure of your interaction with your team members? You have to create an environment where they can challenge you just like you're challenging them and make it a part of your daily rhythm of, of dialogue. And it becomes very normal to them. Yeah. I like that approach. I love that. Making it, if you're not doing it on a regular basis, you're kind of saving that, that that's a, it makes it very tough when you get around to having to do bad news or, or give them negative feedback or constructive well, feedback. Imagine yeah. we've all done that review where you've come in and it's somebody you haven't spent a lot of time with and right. you know, they're looking at you like, what, what, how do you know? Like, I hear what you're telling me, but, and I don't even disagree with it or agree with it, but how do you know? Right. You don't ever want to be in that scenario. Right. You're building credibility through those discussions. Yeah. It's key. Yep. Um, as you're developing these young sales leaders, um, and getting them ready to really uh, excel. What's your cue? What are you looking for that they're ready to go solo? Yeah, I'm looking for somebody who's mature enough in their approach that they understand that it is not about them anymore. It's about the team. Um, that's the first thing, right? They have to show a willingness to be selfless and that it is about a team goal. It's about the team's growth. It's about the team's development. It's all of that. Um, so that's the first element I see. Uh, the second one is that they have the patience and the tolerance to be able to do that, um, the shotgun selling approach where they can allow the person to make mistakes. Um, you know, you, if, if you truly win or learn, then then losing is not the worst thing in the world. You just have to learn from it, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to give them that environment of being able to, that it's okay to fail, that it's okay to say yeah. no. Um, yeah. So I look for the maturity. I look for somebody who's got a team focus. And then the last one really is I look for somebody who can understand the way that a business runs. Part of that is on me and the business. Um, I often find that we demand a lot out of sales and sales leadership, but we don't often, I've had the good fortune uh, to have owned a PL, to have run businesses, to understand the fina financial impact to decisions that we make, but we often don't allow, especially sales leaders to have that understanding. Well, then how do you expect them to be good stewards of your your cost model. Right. Right. So I like it to be somebody who has the aptitude to understand that when I come to them and tell them that I respect the fact that $800,000 worth of renewals are due in January, but that cash flow landing in December is really going to help us for these reasons that they understand why. Right. Awesome. I, we're going to transition now to start talking about CRM technology. And I, I always sure. start it this way. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? I think that I find it to be a necessary evil. I am more of an intuitive seller and I am not the person who's going to go in and document every single step that I make, although I do take copious notes. Um, the important stuff makes it into the system. So if, if you heard me earlier say, you know, you have to model the behavior that you're, that you're expecting, I expect the important information to be in CRM. The problem that I have with CRM, which I think the follow-up to your, your, your question is, it's almost punitive to the sales rep 
and and it's important to the company, but it's almost punitive to the sales rep, right? It's yeah. it's the watch uh, it's the watch guard over their activity levels. It's uh, it's the accountability model, um, and I think that why I've always struggled with each of the companies I've been with, I've always struggled to find a way to make the system valuable to the seller. So what I mean by that is. How often do you see companies that own a CRM system but don't use goals? How often do you have companies that have a CRM system but don't tie in uh, compensation? Um, yep. You know, how often do you see people today not using social interaction or gamification or any of these elements of CRM? So if you're using it truly as a sales forecasting tool, it's never going to be valuable to a rep. Right. So I agree. That's, that's been my inherent problem with it. Yeah. Uh, you said it beautifully in terms of, of uh, and I had this conversation with a client of ours uh, just a couple of weeks ago that said it pretty much the same way you did, where, you know, from the perspective of the frontline sales guy, CRM can be very punitive if you're not doing it the right way or if you're not creating a value proposition for them, you know, to really, it benefits them. In your mind, how should CRM or how should CRM be structured uh, to really create that value proposition for the frontline sales team? Well, I'll give you two easy ones. First of all, let's talk about comp. Imagine, if you will, that you were able to build in some sort of a goals metric that allowed them to take a look at on a deal-by-deal basis. If I was able to say, I'm, I'm coming down to the end of the year, we're in the middle of December, and if I was able to go in and I was able to go into my view and select this deal, this deal, and this deal, and look at what my earnings would be at the end of the year if those three deals came in, do you think I would, and, and I'm going to say the way that I'm, I'm coin operated, right? So, it, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that drive me beyond that, but a good seller is coin operated and competition, you know, yeah. drives them. So if I'm able to, to play with the scenarios and check this box and that box, well, okay, but that one's a little bit going to be tight. Well, what about this one? And then I look at the picture and then all of a sudden I know how to get to the earnings that make me happy. I'm going to be driven to go get it, right? So that's one example in my mind. Tie it to the comp, tie it to a comp model, almost a slide, you know, a sliding scale to show me that if I get, so it, think about that. If I'm doing that, then I'm gonna make sure that the dollar amounts are right, that the sales stages are right, that the probability is right, which is all the data the company wants anyway. Yep. And the reason why I'm doing it as a sales rep is I'm telling you, I, I wanna show myself what I'm gonna make. Yep. Right? So that's one way. The other way, you see baseball all over the wall behind me. And we talked about my sports background. There's a great old book. Uh, it's called uh, the science of hitting and it's by Ted Williams and the cover of it. And you can, you can search this. It's, it's a cool visual. It's a picture of the strike zone and Ted Williams standing next to it. And it's got their baseballs going across all segments of the strike zone. And they're color coded by what his batting average was in each segment of the strike zone. Right. That model always struck me as something that works for sales. Oh, because yeah. if you go back to the point that I made earlier about a high close ratio, what gets you there? Well, pursuing in an industry that we have solutions in, pursuing in a space where we have subject matter experts and we have delivery people that are available, pursuing in a space where I've got stories to tell, right? All the different elements that make up those areas of the strike zone. So if, if you envisioned creating a strike zone and, and building it into boxes, you know, where I'm most qualified and best solution 
to most qualified and, and lesser solution and then least qualified, but I have a solution and least qualified and no solution. Like if I, if I gridded that, if I put a grid there and showed the rep what their general probability was to win that deal, if it got below 60%, yeah. I probably wouldn't pursue it. Right. So you'd probably have a bunch of salespeople getting mad at me if I use CRM properly, but this is a way to do it, right? I might pursue 10 deals a year, but if I closed eight of them and, and, and closed, you know, $7 million while you were chasing 35 and closing $2 million, you're going to be pretty mad at me. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, we, when we talk about user adoption, um, we always kind of put in the terms of you want to lead with a carrot um, and the way you describe it, those are significant carrots that are really going to get people to buy in. Um, we also say you need to follow up with a stick. What's your form of a stick if you have someone that's on your team that just says, look, I, I'm not going to use it? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a couple things. Right from the very beginning of the process, I have, we all have our isms, right? One of my isms is I want to be the most responsive company in the game. So the moment, uh, I, I don't, there's an old saying that says that it, it's the first person that talks to somebody that has the best chance to close them. I totally disagree with that statement, but if I make a slight tweak, I agree with it. It's the first qualified person, the first person who adds value that talks to them, that talks to the buyer has the best chance to win. That I believe. If I believe that our people are valuable and I believe that we can add value, then I want us to be the first one on the phone. So I've, I've built a, we've over the years, we, one of my key elements is I've built a lead qualification team that does some of the fact checking before they ever hand it over to a sales rep, right? So here's one of my sticks. If within 24 hours of that lead being assigned to you, you haven't transitioned that into sales qualified, I'm reassigning it. Yeah. Right. So there's one. I've done dramatic things at different places with certain people. I'll, I'll get to a point where I'll tell them, look, you're not representing any of your deals properly. You're, you're not allowing us to forecast properly. And here's the deal. If, if we go to another deal that closes before that opportunity has gone through the proper cycles, you know, you're going to, you're going to receive a significantly lesser comp on that deal. Yeah. It's, it's the one thing you can impact. I don't ever want to, if I'm getting that punitive, I've failed the team member. Right. Yeah. You know, so to your point, there's always a stick. There's always areas that you're going to enforce. I like to do them with in CRM with workflow and visibility. Cause yeah. if you know, I didn't do something and an email the first time that email goes out to you. Second time, the email goes out to you and somebody else who's going to hold you accountable. The third time, I'm getting that email and God help you if I get that email. Yep. Dashboards are a great way too to be used. Dashboards are, you know, even, you know, and we didn't talk about dashboards earlier. I mean, leaderboards and, and just yep. straight up, um, the way you represent your data is both carrot and stick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people, hey, look, a good stick is, hey, if it's not in CRM, it doesn't exist. You know, so it's like, if I can't see it, if I don't know about it, it doesn't exist. It's going to impact your compensation. So we're uh, of a large enough scale now to where I have my sales operations team starting to work with the sales reps on, on CRM cleanliness every week. If you if so to all the sales leaders that are out there, if you're at a scale where you can afford a little bit of administrative oversight, even though it will pain you to do it, it will it will pay off in terms of your accuracy. I think that's another great tool in terms of really supporting your sales guys, because CRM can be very punitive for you know busy sales reps that but if you can give them the help that offloads that grunt work to you know sales ops or people that are just there hey i'm going to take care of that grunt work and help you 
that's a great mechanism to get people to, to really uh, embrace CRM. 100%. Yep. Um, what's your biggest frustration with CRM today? All of the processes that you would think you could funnel through CRM that happen outside of CRM, and yet you're expected to break from that process to make sure it gets entered into CRM. So when a lead comes in, all of the interaction that I have, if I have to create a quote, if I have to do a demo, if I have to you know, get an NDA, I can save them there, but none of it's happening. You can build it out so that a lot of it's happening through CRM. You can do quotes and orders and all that kind of stuff. But depending on your industry, it doesn't fit very well. We're in one of those complex spaces where it's hard to build out a model, both for the process and for comp that fits well within CRM. So for me, it's a data repository. It's not really a value added solution. Um, so that's my biggest frustration. Right, that's great. Well, we are right at our time. Um, I really, this has been great listening to you, Kevin. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, sales lead dog. If people want to reach out and talk to you, if they want to learn more about Innovate, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, Kevin.Armstrong at Innovate, E-N-A-V-A-T-E.com. Uh, or feel free to check me out on LinkedIn and uh, I'd be happy to connect. And uh, Chris, I really appreciate you giving me the forum. I love talking about this stuff. I'm a, I said earlier, I'm a nerd. Uh, this is the stuff that keeps me going, man. I, I can tell you, I, I know I don't know it all. So I learn from everybody I talk to. No, I've learned from you today. It's been great. Thank you for Thank coming you. on. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.